Thus saith the Lord, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children, because they were not. Thus saith the Lord, Refrain thy voice from weeping, and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 153, Rachel's Cry. I'm Mayor Soloveitchuk. We begin with a moving story found in the memoir of the late Rabbi Shlomo Goren, who served as chief rabbi of the IDF and later of the State of Israel. Following the War of Independence, the area of Judea known as Gush Etzion was held by the Jordanian Legion, and Israel arranged with Jordan for Rabbi Goren to travel to Bethlehem in the Etzion region in order to bring back the body of a man by the name of Avraham Charlap. Charlap writes Rabbi Goren, quote, had been critically wounded in Gush Etzion during the battles there, and had been brought by the Jordanians to the hospital in the French convent in Bethlehem. He had died there, and the nuns did not know how he should be buried. They therefore buried him without any religious ceremony in the hospital courtyard, inside the convent compound, to make it easier for his remains to be retrieved for proper burial when the opportunity arose. I requested permission to enter Bethlehem to transfer Harlop's remains to the Mount Herzl Cemetery in Jerusalem. The Jordanians agreed to take me to Bethlehem on condition that I travel in a prisoner transport vehicle in the back seat with a policeman. End quote. Rabbi Goran further describes how, as he prepared to disinter his fallen brother, he was approached by a Jordanian officer. Quote, You're a colonel, he said to me. Don't you have more important work to do other than busying yourself with these rotten bones? Couldn't you have sent a private to do this? You can see that I'm a religious man, I answered him, pointing at my beard, and explained the importance and sanctity of bringing a Jew for proper burial. Since he and I had struck up a conversation, I decided to try to realize one of my dreams and to take advantage of the situation and the fact that I was in Bethlehem, so close to Rachel's tomb. You know that near here, beside Bethlehem, is one of the holiest sites for Jews, Rachel's tomb, I said. Since I'm a religious person, I would like to ask you to take me there so that I can pray. We're not going that way, he replied. Rachel's tomb is on the main road, and I have no permit to go past there or to go there. We're only five minutes away from there, I said, trying to sound insistent. It'll only be a short visit. You can take me there. End quote. Rabbi Goran, in other words, sought to visit what had long been believed to be the burial site of one of the matriarchs of Israel, Rachel, Rachel, who died giving birth to Benjamin, and who was therefore not buried in the cave of Machpelah. For centuries, the traditional site has been a locus of Jewish prayer, and Rabbi Goran desperately desired to daven, to pray, where Jews were now forbidden from doing so. Rabbi Goran incentivized the Jordanian officer with some funds, and he finally reluctantly agreed to take him in the vicinity of the site, with conditions. Quote, he said he would take me to Rachel's tomb, but that I couldn't leave the car. He would park against the wall of the tomb, opposite a window, and his officers would get out and open the vehicle's back doors so that I could see Rachel's tomb through the window. I would be able to pray there. The officer said that that was his final offer, and I understood that there was no point in asking for anything more. On the way back to Jerusalem from the convent, we took a detour through Bethlehem and stopped at Rachel's tomb. The officers opened the rear doors and the driver backed up against the window. I started to daven. That's enough, we have to go now, the driver said after only a few minutes. I wanted to stay longer, but he said people from the refugee camp would start gathering around and would try to kill me. All my begging and pleading would not make him change his mind. What, Rabbi Garon continues, what did the Holy One, blessed be he, do for me? 
When the Jordanian officer tried to start the engine, the car emitted only a clicking sound. The vehicle was a Ford, the same make of car that I used, and it had a defective starter that malfunctioned a few times a day. I knew how to fix it. The car had to be pushed back and forth a few times in order to release the jam starter. The officer became flustered and lifted the hood of the car. In order to gain some time, I told him that maybe the carburetor was clogged and needed to be dismantled. While he was preoccupied with the car, he was no longer paying any attention to me. We were stuck there for about an hour, and I managed to daven and say not only one chapter of Psalms, but all the Psalms I usually recited each day. Thus, Rabbi Goran concludes, the whole incident enabled me to realize a dream and pray at Rachel's tomb, even before that area was liberated during the Six-Day War. We must ponder, ladies and gentlemen, the painful poignancy of Rabbi Goran's tale, because the matriarch Rachel is linked, as we will see, to God's promise that Vishavuba Nimlikvulam, the children of Israel, return to their border, to their land. And here, Rabbi Goran has to bring a fallen hero over a border, away from Bethlehem, away from a site where Jews were not even allowed to pray. This was 1948, but Rabbi Goran's connection with Bethlehem was not over. He would return to pray at the site once again, capturing in that moment so much of all that Jeremiah himself had promised. In chapter 30, Jeremiah, while predicting destruction, speaks of the restoration yet to come. Verse 20. Their children also shall be as aforetime, and their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all that oppress them. Continuing his consolation in the next chapter, Jeremiah speaks of Shomron, Samaria, site of the northern kingdom. Verse 5. Thou shalt yet plant vines upon the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall eat them as common things. For there shall be a day that the watchmen upon the Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise ye, and let us go up to Zion unto the Lord our God. And then the prophet describes the sobbing of a matriarch, and her receiving a promise from God. Verse 15. Thus saith the Lord, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children, because they were not. Thus saith the Lord, Refrain thy voice from weeping, and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord. Thy children shall come again to their own border. Why is it Rachel, of all the patriarchs and matriarchs, of all the ancestors of Israel, that is described as weeping? And why is it her weeping that is linked to return? Understood simply, as many note, what we have here is a discussion of the northern kingdom, exiled by Assyria, whose central and most famous tribal territory was Ephraim, part of Joseph, the eldest son of Rachel. Thus God further says in verse 20, Is Ephraim not my precious son? Is he not a pleasant child? For when I speak of him, I remember him still. Therefore my innards are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Mercy upon Ephraim, that is what is promised here. The translation of this verse is a bit complicated, and I have offered essentially my own rendering, influenced by a beautiful reading of it by Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik, which is essentially as follows. God is linking here his love of Israel to a mother's love, as if a mother is saying, that she looks upon her now adult child and remembers him as the baby that he once was. This, Rabbi Soloveitchik noted, is inherent in the verse. When I speak of Ephraim, the Almighty says, I think of him. But doesn't one think of someone before speaking of him? The point, Rabbi Soloveitchik said, is that in speaking of Ephraim, Ephraim is remembered as Ephraim was in the past, before all the sins, failure, and exile. What this means is that in this passage, Rachel's matriarchal love is linked to God's love for Ephraim, to the northern kingdom. Rachel cries for her children, and God, in response, will have mercy on Rachel's children. 
One might therefore read the verse referencing Rachel's crying in Ramah as referencing the site known as Ramah that was in the vicinity of the once northern kingdom. Here, however, is where it gets a bit more complicated. While the location of Rachel's burial was debated in rabbinic texts, the traditional site today for Rachel's tomb is in Bethlehem. This is based first and foremost on what the dying Jacob said to his son Joseph about Joseph's mother. And I buried her on the road of Ephrat, which is in Bethlehem. Ephrat and Bethlehem are in Judah's territory. If so, what does it mean that Rachel cries in Ramah? Many commentators read the word not as a proper noun, but as a Hebrew word meaning high. Rachel weeps on high, not only in Jeremiah's age, but for generations, when members of the chosen people are in exile. In the rabbinic understanding, Rachel cries not only for her own descendants, but for all Israel. The Midrash describes Israelites in future destructions, praying to God as they are taken captive and pass by her burial place. According to this understanding, the very fact that Rachel, unlike Leah, was buried outside the cave of Machpelah, the very fact that she was not buried next to her husband, Jacob, Jacob who loved Rachel so, this makes her into a source of enormous sympathy. And the place where her burial place is believed to be is today, therefore, still a place where Jews pour out their hearts in prayer to God in the hope that God will answer those prayers as he answers Rachel's cry in Jeremiah. And I myself would note one striking scriptural parallel to this tradition. In the book of Ruth, which transpires in Bethlehem, the marriage of Boaz and Ruth is blessed by the residents of that location with the prayer that God should make Ruth kirachel uchileah asher banu shnehem et beit Yisrael, as Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. That descendants of Judah in Bethlehem, who are descendants of Leah, invoke Rachel first, indicates how Rachel has become a mother of all Israel. And the promise in Jeremiah to Rachel is a promise to all the people. The children will return to their borders, to their land. Thus it was in 1967, in the midst of the victories of the Six-Day War, that Rabbi Goran, in the night, went, as soon as he was able, back to that site. He tells us what happened, drawing on his own reading of the Midrashic approach to Jeremiah's Rachel text, as well as on a passage in the Zohar, the Kabbalistic classic. Rabbi Goran writes, quote, Remember the story of how I managed to spend time at Rachel's tomb when I went to Bethlehem to retrieve the body of the soldier Avram Kharlap? How I was able to daven there when my Jordanian escort was trying to fix the car? Well, that visit helped me to find Rachel's tomb in the dark now. The prophet Jeremiah said, Thus says the Lord, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted for her children because they are not. This was written when the Jewish people went into exile following the destruction of the first temple when they walked past Rachel's tomb and she cried because her children were being exiled. Jeremiah's prophecy continues, however. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back again from the land of the enemy. I knew, Rabbi Goran continues, that the Holy Zohar states that in the future when the Jewish people returns to Eretz Yisrael from exile, Rachel's children will gather at her tomb, lay their hands on the grave, and tell her, your sons have returned from the land of the enemy. Your sons have returned to their borders. The Zohar states that this will happen at midnight. When I reached Rachel's tomb that night, it was a quarter past eleven. I saw that the gate of the tomb was locked with a heavy chain, and I could not get in. I asked my driver to bring a pair of pliers from the car, and we began to break the chain and the locks so that we could go inside. That job took us about half an hour. At about a quarter to midnight, we entered the first room, which was a kind of kiosk with a big stock of English and American cigarettes. 
and bottles of soft drinks. I wanted to go inside the inner room, to the site of the tomb itself, but the room was closed and locked. There was a low, very thick door with a very large opening for a big key that would have to be eight or ten inches long. We didn't have a key, and I had no idea where the key was and how we would get inside. I went outside and tried to figure out what to do when suddenly I heard something land on the road. I turned around and went over to see what had fallen, and to my surprise, it was the key to the inner room of Rachel's tomb. It turned out that the Arab caretaker of the tomb, who also ran the kiosk, lived not far away. When he heard us breaking into the site, he did us a favor and threw the key toward me. By then it was exactly midnight. I went inside, completely overcome by emotion, put my hands on the tomb and recited the verse. Thus says the Lord, Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope for your future, says the Lord, and your children shall come back again to their own border. Jeremiah 31, 15, 16. So Rabbi Goran writes, and he further describes how he then added words of his own, words that he spoke to Rachel herself, and how he then blew the shofar. This is fitting. Jeremiah 31 is read on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, so that somehow the cry of the shofar becomes a mother's cry and parallels the cries of Jewish parents throughout the ages. Cries for redemption. Cries for return. So Jews prayed. And so it has come to pass. The children have returned to their land. The 31st chapter of Jeremiah expresses the essence of Jewish longing, and it embodies in our own age a prophetic promise fulfilled. This is Mayor Salavetchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.